What is your name? Sam. Sam, have you seen Zodiac? Yes. Multiple times. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> Didn't you just watch it like last night fully through? Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna continue watching it okay. more and more. Um, if you guys are back, if you haven't noticed, this is our latest episode of uh, Auditorium Eight, a film podcast where no one talks during the movie, and there's not 20 minutes worth of trailers. Um, today we're gonna be covering David Fincher's Zodiac from 2007, I believe. Yes. And Drew Goddard's Bad Time at the El Royale. Okay, we're going to go ahead and just uh, dive into this just because a lot of movie news that's been hit recently, probably you guys already know about anything that's happened in the past few weeks, I'm sure has probably hit your desktop at some point in your newsfeed. Um, major thing is uh, Stan Lee has died. Most people know this, um, but we're just going to go ahead and dive into our... I guess sort of flashback review? Is that what we would call it? A review of a movie that we have not done before, but it's not new. This is a very special thing that we do. This is a very special review for this movie, and it's only because... It's so good. It's so damn good, and Nate finally watched it. Well, it's a three-hour movie. I don't don't have time to watch a three-hour movie unless I have nothing to do that night. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I got to give you guys a little information on this sort of... Um, how Nate approached this movie was he asked me, because we were at my house, mm-hmm. he asked me if he could borrow Zodiac. He said, is Zodiac any good? And I said, bro, take it with you. Watch it. This was, what, a month ago now? Yeah. <laughs> um, he finally watched it, and I told him it is one of the best thrillers you'll ever see in which they don't show the murders for the second half of the movie. And he seemed to have really enjoyed it. But I want to hear your thoughts on this, Nate, because this is fresh. You just watched this last night. Because uh, David Fincher, who directed uh, Zodiac, um, <clears throat> I didn't really know who he was. I watched Seven, which is a pretty dang good start for uh, someone, like, for me to introduce to a new director. David mm-hmm, like, sort of his work. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, and I, I felt so... And much in love with that movie because it has everything that I would want in a movie that would make it good and it ended up being probably my favorite movie and then when I watched Zodiac it's kind of a contender because it's like which one do I love more is it Seven's pretty dang good but Zodiac is pretty dang good so it's like <sighs> I think that they both sort of carry the same energy and um I don't know what word I'm looking for. The same energy and just sort of same vibes that you'd see in each movie. It's There's not action in the way that there is in like Mission Impossible or any big budget action movie. A lot of the action that you see and what makes this movie good is the dialogue mm-hmm. um, following specific characters. Um, My dang clock's going off. Yeah, I'm his sorry. clock's going off. It's all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just Seven does that too a lot. And I remember with Seven Two was that the first half of it had a lot of grisly stuff and a lot of murders, gunfighting, the crime scenes, gunfighting, crime scenes, and then after that, it seems like a lot of that dissipates and the movie becomes more revolved around the dialogue and the dramatized version of it. And I really enjoy that. If I don't know if that's just me, but I really enjoy watching because um, I mean you got to find a way to like really resonate with these characters. So the action I think is a way to sort of mold it with that. Um, makes it easier for us and then once we know these characters pretty well it's easier to just sort of fall in and say like they gotta find this killer um 
but yeah, I, I've really enjoyed Zodiac. I don't know how many times I've seen that movie before, but that's it, it does remind me a lot of Seven as well. I love Zodiac so much, but I would consider it a movie where I would like, like Seven, I would watch it, like, say I watch... I'm drinking water. <laughs> like, I watched it last night, but mm-hmm. I probably won't watch it again until at least a couple of months from now, mm-hmm. because I just don't want to like watch it over and over and over mm-hmm. to the point where it's like... Uh, yeah, I love watching it, but I'm kind of tired out of it. But yeah. That's, that's what I did with Seven. I, I watched Seven like three months ago, and I haven't watched it again. So, yeah. But I'm planning on watching it like in a couple of months. There is a number of movies, though, that I, I will agree with you there. Like, they're they're really good, and you want to recommend it to everyone, but it's not the kind of movie you just watch over and over and over again. Baby Driver, I can watch over and over again. It's not the same thing with Zodiac, though. It's Zodiac, it's a slow burner. Yes. Um, And it doesn't have that level of energy and intensity as baby driver so it's harder to watch in a way that you just have to sit through it um on first viewing though i will admit though like that movie kept me up for just hours on end thinking about it it was so good after i got done watching i had little goosebumps go up and down my arms and And if you guys haven't seen the movie like it's been out 11 years now like just we're gonna spoil it we're gonna spoil some shit let's let's be real um i want to talk about the ending with you um just because we don't really get an actual answer. I mean... We sort of do, sort of don't. Like, with Seven, as great as that movie ending is, we still do get, you know, an answer. We get know. half of an answer. Sure. But it ends it ends on a very we, intriguing we, way. Yes, like, and we find out who the killer was. Yes. This movie... We're like, eh, it's like 50-50. This guy could be the killer, but this guy could We want to think that he's the killer as much as the... The main characters do, but and you, but you have to think like throughout the movie, uh, like the handwriting, you know. The handwriting thing was a big part of that movie because you know if you don't know Zodiac, he's a guy who sends letters to the Chronicle and mm-hmm. everyone telling about uh, how he killed someone, when he killed someone, if he's going to kill someone. Like he said, he's he played cat and mouse with the police a lot yeah. in uh, newspapers. And um, his writing looked like it was like elementary because he kept messing up words, misspelled words. Yeah, and so like that was a big deal and the guy who we want to be the killer he his his like handwriting that's it's not the same there's a line in that movie that i remember quite a bit from mark ruffalo's character that i really think resonates with how how the movie ends and how we feel about it and it's that we want it to be robert lee allen we want this guy to be the killer we want to believe it's him but um the, the chief of police asks him they say What's what's your deal? And he says, I don't know if I wanted it to be him to be right or if just wanted it to be over. And that's a big thing in this movie is that they use this guy as a suspect for almost, what, half the movie? Yes. And they never could pin anything on him that was enough to get him in jail. And then we figure out about this other guy. What was his name? It was like, uh, is it was it Rick something? Oh, Rick. Um I don't remember his name. But his name was Rick, okay? Something and, Rick. And uh, the main... The Rick main Marshall. Guy. Rick Marshall is... No, wait, was that Rick? No, I'm thinking of a different movie. You think about <laughs> Walking Dead. You're combining Rick and Marshall together. This is... I'm thinking of the Land of the Lost movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, let's just call him Rick, because I can't think of his last name. I think you're searching right yeah, now I for am. his last But uh, we're introduced to this guy who could very well be the killer also because uh, the guy who looked at the handwriting, he says that's the closest it's ever been to the actual thing. And he worked at, he he knew, uh, 
we well, Jake Gyllenhaal. He thought he knew him because of the movie theater and the July Fourth. Uh, Darlene, right? That was her name. Yeah. Darlene. So we they thought they connected, but when he went to, when he had to go see his sister, her sister in prison, he's like, who, who, who was his name? It's like, oh, it was a really short nickname. Uh, was it was a Rick? It's Rick, isn't it? And you can tell that Jake Gyllenhaal is. Like, and he's convinced he, it's him. He yeah. wants it to be him, and then the girl says. Lee and we're like oh my god there are so many moments in that movie where that make you like just make your head want to like explode it's so infuriating but um yeah I mean just a lot of that is tension um I want to I want to talk about the murder scenes because Mm -hmm. those are I think what really makes this movie shine shine it does because okay a lot of detail was put into those films because when i after i watched the movie last night i went on wikipedia and i actually read about the killings i read a lot i wrote a whole paper on this (laughs) in my senior year just because i remember um i've been obsessed with the zodiac killer ever since seeing this movie i was i don't know how old when i saw it but um but it's like at first you think this killer is spiritual because he's talking about how he wants to collect slaves for the afterlife Mm -hmm. but then later in the movie when we when we finally meet alan although well no lee let's just let's just robert leon yeah yeah. lee let's he's like wearing a watch and it says zodiac Zodiac. and there's the sign on it so it makes you think is he is he is it spiritual or is it just because of the watch and the sim or is it both or is he trying a lot of information comes and i think that and I gotta, I, I admire the way that they shot the murder scenes just because if you look at any IMDb pages, it says that there's three people who played the Zodiac. Um, most likely just, my guess is probably just to throw people off on what he looked like just the same way that people were getting thrown off with just any little thing that they'd see on the news. Um, but you never see a clear shot of the Zodiac's face during any of these scenes. Um, until the ending when the when the kid who survived the uh, July 4th killing pointed at the picture of Lee. Yes. And he says, it's been 22 years, and that is the guy I remember. Yeah. And he's like a, an 8 out of 10. So he, you could tell he's, he, he's... He's pretty damn certain, yeah. Um, I think that's a huge part of that is just because they hold back on that scene, and it's how the movie ends. And the, the way that the scenes are shot are so... I remember the first time I watched it, the... The second scene, I think, where they're at the lake, mm-hmm. that gave me chills. Just because, I mean, it takes a lot of horror movies to scare me. Like, I don't get scared very easily. But I remember seeing that scene and thinking, that is scary. That could actually happen. If if I was, uh, was his, name, his name was Brian, right? That was yeah, like Brian Hartnell, I think. So if I was Brian in this situation and I just saw a guy come up with a gun and he's like, I would be crapping my pants. I would, yeah. I would piss my pants because this is scary because this guy, he's dressing in this all-black outfit with a gun. He's threatening to kill both my girlfriend and me, and you just don't know what's going to happen in the way he talks and all that stuff. And it's, it's also kind of interesting because he says, I shot a guard from esca- escaping montana because he yeah. was cause my he guess was, is he was probably trying to throw him off so that he would give the information to the or he has like a personality disorder or something like split mm-hmm. sort of where he has different personalities like the headaches that he was talking about that, that wasn't actually the zodiac killer though. that was someone from a mental hospital remember so oh crap are you serious yeah i've seen that movie so many times i'm telling you i did a whole singer report on it but i remember the first time i saw it i thought that it was him too 
But but he but he took his card and he wrote he wrote all the things down. Remember from oh yeah 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 that was that was the zodiac. But later on in the movie, whenever he calls from the mental hospital and he says that he calls to the radio station and he says that he gets headaches. That was a mental patient in a mental hospital. So this movie spins your mind. Yeah, it's a two and a half hour long movie. I could see where you'd get lost there. Um, Because you're like thinking about, well, what about this? But but this came a long way in the movie. And then what about this in the early? This movie just makes you so confused, but it doesn't make you so confused to the point where you don't want to watch it. It makes you more intrigued. It makes you want to see it more. Like rewatch it and study it. Yeah. By the end of the movie, you don't feel like... Uh, like this great rush of yeah, I, I figured it out. No, you don't feel that because you didn't figure it out. It's it like- very ambiguous, but also very pleasing in a way. <laughs> the way they end it because it's just there's no clear ending. I what I also loved about this movie, and we just talked about this, is that it takes place over a long time, and it makes me feel 12 like twelve years. I think is what it is. I was it? like, wait, what? And it, that it really shows because it's like two weeks later. A month later, two yeah. weeks it's later. It's hard to follow. Like, not Three really hard later. to follow. I guess it's just more of a – it sort of starts to feel hopeless by the time you get to the end of the movie because it's 12 years. And when it gets to the part of, like, a year later, I'm like, wow. What? And then when it gets to the seven and a half years later, I was like, holy crap. There's a lot of time going by There's this. There's a scene that I think about that at first I remember thinking that it was a really cheap scene, like thinking – Oh, they did that so the audience would follow easier. But I, I think about it more and more with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Mark Ruffalo, where they're in the diner, he wakes him up at home, and he mentions Robert Lee Allen's name. And he says, okay, let's talk about this. So they go to the diner, and he mentions all the killings that have happened with the timeline that Robert Lee Allen is in jail and with the time he's not. And I remember thinking the first time that that was a really cheap scene to sort of, I guess, give the audience sort of – a connection in a way where it doesn't feel like we're like catching up on things, but rather it shows all the evidence is still there. And Mark Ruffalo just has to be able to prove it, but we can't. And uh, another scene that I really love is that uh, whenever Jake Gyllenhaal's character, whenever he gets like really obsessed, like his entire apartment is covered yeah. with, and then his wife comes home and he says, why do you keep doing this? It's, he's like, I just want to look him in the eyes and know that it's him. And then later, when it was like 1983, and he goes into that like hardware store where yeah. Lee is, he just stands there. He doesn't talk to him. And he just looks at him. That scene's creepy as hell. And it's then, weird, but it's really creepy. And Lee looks back at him, and he's like, can I help you, sir? And he just looks at him for like a good 30 seconds. And Lee just looks like... Um, he looks like he sees a monster. Yeah, and then... And then he's like, no. And then he just walks away. To me, that that feels like he is satisfied with the ending of this. He he may think that there's nothing left, but to him, that's the case. Mm-hmm. But but to other people, it could be completely different. He might not even be the killer, but to him, he is the killer. Yeah. He just spent so much time, so much of his time in his life on this case, sacrificing everything, his children, his job, his uh, wife, everything. And us as the audience, we feel that too, because that's almost the last hour and a half of the movie, I think. It it goes by pretty long, but um, any scene that has Jake Gyllenhaal following the murders and trying to piece it all together like a puzzle, it seems like that's what gets the audience to connect with him because we're honestly just we know as much as he does 
So I feel like that helps us connect, and I, I think it's great. And, and Jake uh, Gyllenhaal, um, he's he's great in this movie. I think he's probably wow, my... He's great in every movie. I love him so much. <laughs> I, I haven't seen Nightcrawler yet, but so far this is my favorite performance from him. But I, I guess after I've seen Nightcrawler, my opinion will change. Cause I, I think Nightcrawler, he just plays a really different character, so his performance there really shines. Um I think they're both as impressive, but I mean, I guess you'll see whenever we watch Nightcrawler. But but, but the thing that I love most about his character is he's not a detective. He's not a news reporter. He's a, he's cartoonist. a cartoonist. Yeah, he's, he's a really cartoonist. Yeah, but he but he, you could tell that that curiosity is still in his brain. You, even all throughout those years, he's still piecing the puzzles together with the help of uh, Paul Avery, played by uh, Robert Downey Jr., the Iron Man. <laughs> every, I'm sorry, but every time I looked at him or Mark Ruffalo, I just think, man, Iron Man and the Hulk are together. Yeah, you know, I thought that too at first, but as the movie goes on, it feels like I forgot about them being Iron Man and Hulk completely. I think that's how you know if someone pulled off a good performance. Yes. Um, you disassociate the character that you most associate them with, but I mean that's just me. Um, there there is one con that I have to this movie. It's not really a con; it's just something that kept bothering me throughout. You the said most. this movie was a ten out of ten for you. Would you just, this would this con de- de- detract from that ten? It would probably just put it down to like a nine point five. Okay, probably. all right. But it's a Mission Impossible movie. If you know what I'm saying, you have to keep focus. You can't you can't skip a scene. You can't do anything yeah. because all all these puzzle pieces are coming together and sometimes you can get a little confused about it like who is he talking about and then it was just someone who was just briefly mentioned like yeah every, every beginning they, of the movie. They, they sort of expect you to remember like little characters who maybe brought in a coffee at some point i feel like it's some like the next time when i watch this i should get a notepad and just write down everything that happened in each i think year. that's why i've looked at it so much as this kind of movie that i think is perfect just because it's i've seen it so many times so i can follow it and understand it completely but I can understand where you're coming from the first time you watch it. It's, there's characters who maybe at one point like were mentioned briefly, and then you have to remember them completely. So, yeah, probably when I watch it again, I'll understand it more and more. Like I did with Mission Impossible, because the first time I watched it, I was really freaking confused. <laughs> but after I kept watching it more and more times, I understand it completely. But this movie, yeah, I feel like if I watch it maybe a couple more times, I'll be... Oh, like, okay, I know exactly what they're talking about. This person, this person, this person. Mm-hmm. All this stuff combined. But, yeah, it's 12 years of information coming together, and it just makes you a little bit confused. Like, wait, what? What are they talking about? What? Who is this person that they're talking about? And it could be, like, the psychiatrist at the very beginning of the talk show. Like, oh, wait, yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably my only con with it. Everything else is perfect. David Fincher's direction of this movie is spot on. I haven't yeah, seen. Anything. I love the cinematography with everything in that movie as well. This movie may, was made in 2007, but it feels like a 1940s. It still holds up. It's so good. Drama. Yes, and it is a crime drama. But the music, if you don't, if you just listen to the music, like in some scenes when people are just walking yeah. around, it's like 1940s, mm-hmm. and the cinematography really feels like that. And what I really love about this movie is shows what obsession can do to someone mm-hmm. when it gets the better of them because it gets the better of Mark Ruffalo, it gets the better of Jake Gyllenhaal, and it gets the better of Robert Downey Jr. Because by the end, all of them, they're just all their lives were just really like tempered with with this case. Yeah. And, and I could see how they would have. I mean, it, it's ridiculous just um, thinking about it. But yeah, um, that is our rundown 
of David Fincher's Zodiac, released in 2007. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, my take is a 10 out of 10. As you heard from Nate, it's a 9.5 as of now. If it changes, we will let you guys know. It probably will go back to 10, 10 out of 10 if I watch it a couple more times. Okay, so we are going to move on to our featured review, which, I mean, it's not a new release, but we're going to talk about this because... We both loved We this both movie. absolutely loved and adored this movie, and it's the movie that should be seen in theaters right now, but unfortunately has finished its theater theatrical run. Um, it was a pretty underrated movie. This, it, when it first came out, critics were kind of eh on it, but then yeah. after It, it, it sucks, time. though. It, it, it didn't perform very good at the box office. Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale. I want to talk about this movie. I've been so excited to talk about this. Um, yeah, he, he's he been very excited. <laughs> I've been so excited about this movie. Okay, first off, I want to say, I didn't see this movie opening weekend. I didn't even see the like second run. I, I saw it literally on the last chance I got to see it. Yes. And I absolutely loved it. Um, I watched it when, at the very beginning when it came out. Right, so I remember you saw it five times, you said. Six times. Six times now. Okay, so it's changed. And it, di- it didn't bother me. It, it didn't bore me. No, I, I understand knew- what you're talking about with seeing it six times and not boring you. I've I, seen so I, many movies in theaters that many times. I know that when someone watches a movie like back-to-back, like week after week, like six times, you probably just... I just appreciate in. it more if I really like it that much. And, um, and what, I, what I love... Most about this movie is how it's constructed, how it's all placed together, because it's one of those movies where it goes back and forth between mm-hmm. the characters, uh, uh, how they how they lived this night at the perceived it, how they, how they perspective. Yes, and it could it could get confusing, like maybe a little bit, but if you think about it later, you're like okay, that makes sense because uh, it, it does. I I really you saw the trailers for this, right? Uh, I I think I watched like a part of it. I knew about the whole secret hallway. Uh-huh. I remember seeing the trailers for this, and it felt like a lot of the stuff was spoiled. And for the most part, it kind of was. Yes. Yeah, but I remember the first thing thinking about this trailer before they even mentioned anything about the director was I thought this looks like Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> and sure enough, like right after I said that on the trailer, it says from director of Cabin in the Woods. I was like, okay, <laughs> way to th- way to throw me off here. But okay, um, I this this movie, it's if. No one told me. I really would have thought that Quentin Tarantino might have directed or written this movie in some way or form. It um, does feel like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes. It does have a lot of Quentin Tarantino-esque vibes. Like, if you put scenes, like, from, like, say, like, The Hate Late, who, mm-hmm. who were just Quentin Tarantino released in 2015, if you can, It's really similar. If you put those two together, you can actually see a lot of similarities to the... Direct, um, the yeah, I think the only reason that I know it wasn't Quentin Tarantino is just because I've studied his movies so much, I probably would have caught on to it at some point, but just... His this style of film, it's very. And I I thought it looked gorgeous. That was just me, but um, it looks, sounds, and feels amazing. It's that kind of movie that from the opening scene till the final frame, I was just, I was it. I was enthralled. I I was just so into it. I was the entire time thinking, what is going to happen next? And should we spoil it? I mean, it's been two weeks. I think it's fine. Okay, we're gonna spoil shit. I think we. I think I want to talk about each individual character and what what their whole story is. So Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, Father he, Daniel Flynn. He's a priest, and I'm saying this with quotation marks. Priest, which he's really not. It turns out he's actually a bank robber who, when he was captured, 
he did this job with his brother, and his brother took it to the El Royale and put it beneath the floor of one of the rooms. And that's the opening scene. That's, too. Op- that's the op- his brother walks the room, and it has this really good montage of him undoing the floor, putting the money in, putting it back the floor back together, and then opening the door, and someone shoots him with a shotgun, which was a really great scene. That was like the first time I was like, "Oh my gosh, this movie's gonna be great!" But yeah, <laughs> so he he got captured, and he did ten years of prison, and it turns out that he's suffering from. Uh, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, He's starting to forget stuff. Yeah, and so... But we don't learn that until about halfway through the movie. And they they don't spoil it. There are parts where it could be like... You can catch on, but at the same time, it's not like it's directly in your face. Like, on the first viewing, you'd be like, okay, that's normal. But on the second viewing, you'd be like, okay, I know what he's talking about. Like, for example, at the very beginning when they're choosing rooms, he can't decide between room five and four because his partner... His brother chose to do room five, but he can't remember if they chose room five or four. <laughs> so when you we get that shot of him looking out in the doorways and just thinking like, was it five or four, five or four? And then he just takes the chance by the, flipping the coin and just going, "I'll take room four. And then turns out that room is not the room. His his character, I feel like, was something that. Um really may have been overlooked in the past, in the last act, just because of everything that's going on. Um, John Hamm, his character was, I believe, someone that he, he, I really would have liked to have seen more of him, but at the same time, like, he needed to die at that point. Spoiler, yes, he does die. He does die. At the very beginning, you think he's a dick, because he, like, uh, Oh, I hated him within the first five minutes of seeing him. He he just insults everyone in the room, and then finally we just learned... Well, no, he's not. He's not a vacuum salesman. He's a freaking FBI agent, and but he needed to sell that character. He was he was he was the sleazy salesman that everyone wanted to stay away from. That's why he let everyone else choose their rooms first, so that he would know where they were. And I really appreciate John Hamm for doing both of the how he could play off as a dick and uh, an FBI strict. Like you could tell, he was a family man. You could tell, yeah, and he didn't even meet his family because. Like, one of the scenes that, that no one, like, uh, it was a very underrated scene was when he called his daughter and was saying goodnight to her. Mm-hmm. I was, that just kept in my mind while watching him go out through the stuff. And then finally, whenever he gets shot, I was like, oh, man, that sucks. Because I, he did what he thought was right. Because mm-hmm. the reason why he gets shot is because he, when he goes down to the basement and he sees the long hallway, he sees Dakota Johnson, uh, can, uh seeing her uh, tie her sister to a chair. But and he we don't know that it's his sister yeah, we didn't until know. later. But the one thing that I do love, which I really love, it was kind of clever. Sort of, we talked about this, is when he was in the, in the room and he saw uh, Dakota Johnson tie. She, she throws a shotgun under the bed yeah, right as soon as he leaves. Right when he turns, she brings out the shotgun. And if you would have thought... Well, if he just would have waited like three more seconds, he would have he would seen, have seen it. And he would have been prepared, and then he would have been prepared. But no, he goes over to the camera and tries to find any film, but it's not there. And he comes back. He does. He he just thinks that she just has the pistol and all stuff. That that entire movie, um, it's all about perspective. And I I say this over and over again, and I I realize that maybe people just will understand that. But I mean, it's true. Like a lot of this movie relies on perspectiveness and what per, what perception you're seeing in the characters. And a lot of this is on chance because if one person would have chosen another thing, 
like for example, if Jeb Bridges would have said five instead of four, he, he would have been in and out of there. Yeah, he so been, quick, like in two hours, and he would have never been a part of the story. Um, if if uh, John Hamm would have decided to follow his orders and not interfere, he would have not been shot. Mm-hmm. But if he if he was going to be killed, it was going to be probably going to be like later in the movie and all that stuff. And say like if uh, the What's your name? Darlene Sweet, is that her name? Darlene Sweet. Yes. I what's her name We're going to go back to her character, but one of her choices was to knock out Jeff Bridges, and if she didn't knock him out, then she would have uh, drank uh, the whiskey that Jeff Bridges uh, actually put, like, I'm guessing, like... I, I, I'm guessing it was he's just trying to pat, like juice. knock her out or something. Yeah, and if that would have happened, he would still been out, in and out of there, and she'd probably been left for dead, and the entire movie would have been... Uh, change or like at the very that like at the very end when uh, Chris Hemsworth's character comes in and he's doing the whole choose black mm-hmm. or red and if Dakota she would have been omitted from all of that completely and if she would have if she she said red but if she would have said black she would have survived and we wouldn't have gotten the heartfelt ending but we're not gonna get to that right now but like I'm saying a lot of the choices and the things that happen are on chance and I really love that mm-hmm. because it makes your mind think well what if what would have happened if he didn't do this or she would have done this it just makes your mind like even after you leave you're still thinking like oh my gosh what would have happened but you're just thinking you're just thankful that what happened happened because it's it, it ends on a pretty sour note but it's a good note that i'm really happy they took it's it's so weird like it's there's a lot of characters who like like we said deserve to live but didn't um but considering if you ever missed a single part of this movie, like maybe going to the bathroom or just going to get a drink, you would have missed a lot of stuff. And you would have been um, confused. Because Dakota Johnson's character ultimately looks like this person who kidnapped her little sister, but we don't realize it's her little sister. We don't. John Hamm looks like a dick. And um, we, and we wouldn't, and say like if she, she missed the cutscene of uh, her sister meeting uh, Chris Hemsworth. Billy Lee, uh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been really confused. So you have, like, you pee before you go see this movie because you need to stay in that theater the entire, what was it, like two hours and... Two hours and 15 something minutes. Yeah, so, yeah, your name before you go. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I I love a good long movie. Um, You can't tell. I was saying, like, we just mentioned Zodiac with two hours and 40 minutes. Um, I feel like it's... <laughs> if, if, if I could really say anything about this movie that I really wish they would have changed, and I wouldn't have changed the movie. I would have changed the marketing. They 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 do show Billy Lee, Chris Hemsworth character, but I really wish they wouldn't have, if you know what I mean. Just because... Um, if they just would have kept it to the general characters that we know are going to be in the movie. Yeah, then and then him sur- being a surprise character at the ending that sort of throws everyone off. Because by that time, they, they show the trailer, and you could tell that... Billy Lee is someone who's not supposed to be there. That's just something I assumed going in, and I was like, "Okay, so who's this guy?" But he's like a Charles Manson sort of thing. He has yeah. a cult. He's a cult follower, and that's—I think—I would have changed the way that they introduced his character in the movie too, with the whole um, him walking thing on the beach. Yeah, oh. I think they would have no him walking into the into the El Royale was perfect. I think I like the way that he enters in the El Royale. But the way that they introduce his character with that scene of him on the beach and then the whole thing with the fight, um, yeah, like, they, I, I think they could have done that a bit better. Just The, the fight scene, I, 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 w- I would know that that would have been better if they kept it in the movie. But say like after uh, – actually, when the way they did it was perfect because we don't know why she loves this guy so much. Why is yeah. he bad? And if they would have showed us that right after – 
would have been a whole, whole, whole completely different story. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all about perspective, how we see things. So the way that we saw it in the movie was done better, I think, than if it was shown after. But I mean, that was just a movie for me. I, I agree with you that the, the beach scene wasn't needed. It was still the second scene. I do think was needed. Just it was a bit odd. Um. Okay, let's get back on the track of the characters. Um, Darling Sweet. Whoa, drop the lid. She she is a singer, and uh, whenever whenever we're introduced to these characters in a very interesting way, when it says like room five, room four, in a very Quinn Tarantino mm-hmm. thing, because whenever he does that, he does like chapters and all that stuff. Yeah. But this movie does it by room, and I found that really. Uh, I would call them chapters. Yeah, it's I mean, because I mean, they're basically like giving us different expositions of different characters. Say, like Quentin Tarantino does in Pulp Fiction, because each chapter mm-hmm. reveals another character. It's like in this one, Darling Sweet, she's a singer, and she has been, I guess, doubted all of her life. Like she's like, I don't know if I can become a singer or if I can be a singer, and then she forms this really like likable bond with Jeff Bridges which I think that he actually meant what he said whenever he says like I was it was an honor to listen to you scene yeah I mean you can tell Jeff Bridges is this character that I mean he does rob banks he does take the risk of knocking someone out but he's not a bad guy like it like during whenever we see him robbing the thing he's like is is he dead he's like no he, he's, he's like, trying hey. he's trying for the better part to he's, be a good person just it's hard whenever you're doing things like that yes um <laughs> But anyway, um, she, uh, whenever she meets him, she feels she doesn't doubt herself for a short period of time because mm-hmm. he says, I really loved your singing. So, because the flashback shows her singing for the song, which is a real song, by the way. It was. She's uh, a rebel. Yeah. I can't or he's a rebel, I mean. Yeah, I can't remember the artist. Uh, I want to say The Crystals, but I, I don't think that's right. It's, it's like a really old song. But. It shows her as a backup singer, and then I guess the movie, not movie, music producer was like, you're... It sort of walks all over her. Yeah, she's like, he's like, you can either, you can either make the big bucks, or you can rather sing at the banking night in know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap, dude, that's, that's cold. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> that's cold, man, not even for me. <laughs> so... So whenever he says that, they go into the lobby and just the interactions between, like I said, uh, the, the the conversation they have is about him and his memory loss condition, mm-hmm. which is a very great scene because Jeff Bridges, you can tell that he... He genuinely, like, he's very genuine, but at the same time, we don't know his character all the way. But we can definitely tell he's a kind person. He's, he's, the he's, kind, he's a kind person just by his actions and how he talks, yeah. And that, the first time I saw it, it made me cry because I can really tell that he's meaning what he's saying. He's not mm-hmm. making this crap up. He's actually meaning what he's saying. Yeah, it's a and, great scene. And the part, I guess the one part where I was like, eh, um, was whenever she knocks him out and later was like, how can you tell I was fake? And she's like, you've been hustled your whole life. You know, when you spot a hustler, I mean like, okay, that that kind of makes sense. But if they would have given him mm-hmm. more, like if he would have said something that she knew was a lie, that would have made more sense. That would have made more sense. And we would have been like, she caught him right then. There, yeah. But, yeah. But so that, that kind of explanation was kind of dumb, but it kind of makes sense. So I'm not going to go against it on anyway. But yeah. Um, anyway, when knocks her out and that's the end of, her story, and then it goes... I'm trying to think of 
Dakota Johnson's character, Emily Summerspring and Rose Summerspring. Oh, I'm just gonna gosh. go ahead and throw these throw these together because we don't have a lot of time. But um, we we can go a couple of minutes over, <laughs> Martine. Don't worry. Okay. Um, so I I liked their characters. Rose, I think sucked. I dude. think I liked no. Emily more. Um, well, duh. I don't. Okay, here's the thing: is I don't think Rose was a bad character. She wasn't. She freaking stabbed a senator in Miami. If you don't remember that, Mister. That doesn't make her a bad character. And she also. Okay. She also okay. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. The question here is. Are you saying that her character is badly written, or are you saying you just don't like her character? I hate her guts. I like the performance, and I like the story behind her, but that story makes me hate her even more. So don't so, you don't you dare take her side for a single second, Martine. So, I can smell your crap all the way so over here. So what you're saying is, it was done well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no! Because <laughs> since they made me hate her like I did, I think they did a pretty dang good yeah. job. I think that's how you know someone really pulled off a performance well is if you really hate them at the end of the day. You see that character in a different movie, you're like, God, she should have died. But <laughs> I mean, most of the sisters died because Dakota Johnson dies by Billy Lee, which was a pretty, it's a pretty successful scene. Oh, that scene is very... Um, but let's not skip ahead of ourselves. No, of course not. Um, I like their characters. I like their introductions. I, I like that. I hate her when she killed Jonathan, but later I can kind of understand where she was coming from because... She was just trying to get away. Yeah, because she was done with Billy Lee and she didn't And I could see her... I mean, it doesn't seem that responsible at first, but at the same time, like... She was doing the best she could with what she had, like circumstance-wise. Because one of the cut, one of the best flashbacks when it comes to them is they had a very bad childhood with the mm-hmm. abusive father and all that stuff. And, and she just wanted to keep her away from that. And she protected her then when she put him under the bed, and she's trying to do it now with Billy Lee because. They, but she Rose see, just. She completely she, yeah. She I think she was gone when her, at the very beginning. I think. Later, whenever it shows her dying and it sees her sister's baby, like, kid version, and her dad picking her up. And I think that's when she would realize, one thing I could have saved her in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was too late. Anyway, um, I thought they tried to give us sympathy for Rose. I mean, I kind of did with her backstory. but by I kind of did just okay. because she... she wasn't really responsible for any of that. Like, she sort of just fell in with the wrong... Crowd, if you know what I mean. Just because Billy Lee is, he's a very likable, very charismatic anti hero. And it's the way that, I mean, I hated his guts, but I'm not going to lie. Like, he was entertaining. He was entertaining as hell. And he was just the kind of guy that, like, you want to know more about. Even if if the only thing we see about him is, like, the last 20 minutes of him just sort of threatening everyone. But, I mean, it's just, I could see where she got lost in that. So, yeah, I, I can't really blame her, but still I hate her. I, that's just me. Okay, I can't help myself from Okay. But let's go to the, I think it's... Final character is Miles. Oh, my gosh. This is... Oh I'm not going to lie. Like, they, they, they really uh, milk this guy with him sort of saying that he has a lot of regret and repentance. And whenever he keeps asking... Jeff Bridges' character, who's saying he's a priest, but he's really not. He's just like, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Forgive me for my sins, Father. And then when Chris Hemsworth says, he's not a priest. Oh, that, it made my heart drop when I he said like, that. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't, mm, don't do that. It, it hurt me to hear that. Just because, I mean, last is the audience, we already know, but Miles doesn't know this. Yeah, so. Um, 
I think his flashback may have been the better part of that entire movie just because... I must say, it does feel a little rushed because it comes to... Because when they show him, like, in his history, because he was in Vietnam and he mm-hmm. killed a lot of people, I think if they would have done that earlier, that would have been better because it just takes away from the awesomeness that was the fight, but it's still pretty good, and I felt really sorry for him. And But when they came back, I thought it was kind of out of place. I think I liked it that way. I mean, I don't know. I, I would like to watch it the other way around just to see which one I like more and which one I feel more sympathy for. But just because the entire movie, we're led to believe that he has a lot of repentance and regret. And we never understand exactly why. And then she mentions that he, he, he mentions that he doesn't want to kill again. And we find out he says like some huge number, like, like 100, 100 some, 123 people. And we're um, like, wait, what? And we're like, damn, was this guy a hitman or something? And they show us that he was in the war, and it's like, okay, and now it all makes sense. And that combined with the stuff, the stuff he had to do at the hotel, which is when you tape all these people doing stuff. He even gives examples, like how a senator beat a girl up pretty bad, how a guy put his own filth on the wall, and then finally, <laughs> the funny part where he talks about the guy and the wolf sleeping together. Yeah, that was weird. I laughed so I hard. Laughed, I laughed a lot the first time I watched it, but... but I mean. No one else laughed except me at that theater, so I felt really, like, weird. My brother's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm like, not, is this not a funny scene? I don't even care about laughing with scenes like that. I laughed my ass off during a huge scene this, in Fifty Shades Freed, and I did not regret it a single bit. This guy is talking about a guy sleeping naked with a wolf. I'm not... It's it's funny because he was like, it wasn't sexual, but it wasn't not sexual. I was like, oh my gosh, this is funny. But yes, other than that, you can tell that in, in when you saw him uh, in the maintenance closet, which was the name of his backstory, you could tell he did drugs because mm-hmm. the, the needle the was passed out. Yeah. yeah. So you can tell that he's trying to get, he's trying to put that pain away, but it's always going to be there. And he feels like the only way that he can finally be free from this pain is if he just... Forgets about it. He confesses his sins. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a freaking great character. But again, Rose kills him because, but before that, he does a really awesome thing where he like shoots all the people, bang, bang. He shoots Billy in the face. He's. Oh, he takes everyone out. Yeah, and then, and then when he kills everyone else, and then he, he puts out the rifle. For some reason, he's like, "I'm sorry," and then she just pulls out the knife. I like that he that he felt sorry for her because I mean, he 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 didn't want to kill anymore, but he knew right then. I mean, not even just that, to. but he he knew how much she cared for him. And still, I, th- I thought that was still a little dumb uh, decision putting the rifle down and being that close to her for the point where yeah. she could like, stab her. I feel like if he could have done that from like a distance and said, I'm, I'm sorry, and then she pulls out the knife and then tries to run at him, he could pull the rifle up and shoot her or something. Take her out. But, but <laughs> it does make some more. it does make more sense for her to kill him, but it was kind of in avoidable way if they would have done it a little bit different I'd be fine like if she would have pulled out a pistol from Billy Lee's side and then shot him right there that would have been fine also but the way he did it that could have been avoidable but it does lead to probably one of the most saddest deaths I have ever seen and I cried every time I watched this in theaters every six times (laughs) and when Jeff Bridges like confessed and he was like but you're not a father he's like I am Father Flynn, and I am here to relieve you. I think that was one of the more satisfying scenes I've ever seen in any movie ever. Not just because of, I mean, it it really does show that, like, maybe he did do wrong in pretending that he was a priest. But but it wasn't his his fault. Yeah, but what I'm saying, though, is that he's sitting there as 
I mean, he's what he needs at that point. And maybe he... I'd like to think that maybe at that point he was resolved with his sins. And, That's just... And I also love how well, the very last thing he hears before dying is, you are forgiven. And I was like, okay, now he can finally feel for that one second that he is... He's... he's He's good. He just, I mean, he, he, all that stuff is still there, but he's forgiven and he feels like huge weight lifted and then he dies. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then I cry. Yeah. Um, but, but there's one more thing that we need to talk about. And I know you're getting all hyper, like, come on, God, God. No. But <laughs> the one thing, there's this big mystery about a Oh, who was on the videotape? We're going to try to figure that out for you guys. <laughs> um, no, if you don't believe us, that's fine. But. I read on a website that this movie takes place in the 1970 because of a Nixon speech that was happening, and it says like September something 1970s. And in the hallway, the guy says, "Well, there's this guy that came here a year ago, so that means 1969." And he says, "You would really know him. Everyone knows him. Everyone, even Billy Lee and, and, yeah. and look." Everyone looks at the tape at some point, and everyone seems to recognize him. So it had to be someone who was pretty big at the time. And I'm, I'm thinking. It's not JFK because he died in '62. Mm-hmm. It can't be Martin Luther King because he died in '68. So who else could that be? Could that be like? Um, could that be Nixon? Could that? I don't. I'm still trying to figure it out. There's a whole list of people who I think it could be, but I, I still but, think that. But then he says. But then Rose says, "Oh, I know them. They're dead." And I'm like, "Oh, so yeah." It's so some- it has to be someone who's dead at. By seventy, but alive in sixty nine. I'm. I. Then it came in next because he's still alive. So I'm thinking, what if it was JFK, his younger brother? What if it was him? But she mentioned something about a senator. So yeah, it can't or be. A, I don't know if she does, but someone else does. So I'm thinking it's his younger brother. That's all. That's the only thing I can think of. But I can tell that the storytellers want us to think for ourselves and not just go out and say it like, oh, okay. It's, am, it's ambiguous. That's we'll dis- never know. That's disposable right there. But no, they kept it to the point where it's mysterious. But you can still think about it after you leave. Yeah. And I think that's how you know that the, the character that Jeff Bridges plays is, um, and Diane, Darlene, I think, are, yeah. are the ones that are, Ultimately, no definitive good, no definitive bad, because they could have taken that tape and made a whole bunch of money off of it, but they didn't. But they can tell it's it's not worth it. Just take yeah. the money and leave, and they split it. And then that movie ends with them in Reno, not the pancake. I, I loved it. I loved the ending, and just because it felt so satisfying to finally see them. Like, I just, I just, and the soundtrack of this movie is freaking great because it's like yeah, R&B, it's like all nothing but seventies and sixties music, and then like. And another thing that I thought was really clever is when they introduced Billy Lee's character, and he's like, go play a tune up there. And then they play Deep Purple, which is yeah. a completely different music than what we've been hearing from our, our usual cast. And then this guy comes in and plays this rock and roll, hillbilly sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, that that's pretty genius. But still, the soundtrack is freaking awesome. And I really wish that they would put the stuff that Darlene sang on on the soundtrack, yeah, on the, but, um, yeah. but they didn't, which I thought was sad, because she was a really great singer. Who knows? Maybe they'll end up putting it out somewhere, but, um, yeah, we're out of time, so... Oh, you can, you can really, you can, you can, you can breathe again, Martin. No, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not breathing, just, we, we're out of time, just, um, I, I wish we could make this episode longer, just because I want to keep talking about it, but, um, final thoughts? I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I'm giving it a nine out of ten. That is our quick review of Zodiac. 
and Bad Times at the El Royale. If you haven't seen either of these, please check them out. Make sure you watch them. They're great movies. Seriously, you guys. Amazing. We wouldn't be reviewing them if there was no reason to. This isn't The Meg. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. This is good. These are good movies. Okay. Um, anything you want to say to our listeners, Nate? Stay safe, Sam. <laughs> Stay safe. All right. Um, thank you guys for listening, and we'll, hear, we'll see you next time.